The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition. Hello, I'm Kimberly King, and welcome to the Mother's Market Podcast, a show dedicated to the truth, beauty, and goodness of the human condition. On today's show, we continue to discuss the novel coronavirus that is dominating the news these days. We'll talk to a prominent alternative medicine physician and get his take on what we can all do to keep ourselves safe and sane. But first up, we're joined today by another prominent physician when it comes to alternative medicine. Dr. Alan Sassen is the founder and medical director of the Institute for Progressive Medicine. He's been practicing medicine for over 40 years. His institute treats people of all ages through comprehensive state-of-the-art new medicine techniques. And we welcome him back to the Mother's Podcast. Dr. Sassen, how are you doing? I'm good, Kim. How are you doing? Great. It's great to have you here. Thanks. Before we get to today's topic, please fill us in on your mission and your work before we get to today's show. Well, over the last 20 years or so since I've had my own practice, and before that I was working in other practices that did a lot of complementary and alternative medicine, uh, the idea is to help people stay healthy and get healthy without interventions that may cause them damage which means drugs and surgery. Mm-hmm. So we have uh, millions of operations done every year in this country, and many, many, many people are on drugs, medications of different kinds. The average person, 60 years old or so, is on five prescription medications. That's average, and some are on 10, and some are on 15, and this is the kind of thing I see all the time. And those things don't occur. I'm not saying they're wrong to be on medication, and I'm not saying they're wrong to have surgery, because a lot of times those treatments are necessary, and it's great that we have them. You know, things like HIV would be a much more horrible problem if we didn't have the medications for it. So, you know, I'm grateful that we have these discoveries and these things to utilize, but it's overdone. You know, a person goes into an office and says, I have a headache, here's a drug. Mm -hmm. Person goes into an office, I got a tummy ache, here's a drug. You know, is there any discussion about what they eat, what their lifestyle is like? Do they smoke cigarettes, drink alcohol? What about that? You know, what medications are they on now? Because a lot of the time, the doctor's visit really is a result of a side effect from a drug. Counteracting. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, So it's so great because you go right to the problem and you work with all of your patients to perhaps wean them off of the drugs if they need to be or find solutions that are not drug-free. Yeah. Well, you know, what you really have to do to have that kind of medicine go on is have time. Perfect. You know, if, a, if a doctor has six minutes to see a patient and he's being pushed by the administrators and the system, and the he's not going to be able to ask about, you know, what's your mother's history and your father's history and family illnesses and that kind of stuff. It's not possible. So they have to get right to the point. What is it? And the fastest solution is going to be a medication. Well, that's what I love because you do the deep dive with your patients. And today we're talking about uh, the latest information on, of course, the coronavirus. So, um, Dr. Sassen, how worried should we be about that? Well, I think there's a legitimate concern. I mean, it does exist. There are 100,000 or more people so far in the world who've been affected by it. And from what I read, the death rate is about 3%. However, there's also 7.5 billion people in the world, almost all of whom have not been affected by it at this point. So I think people are afraid maybe because of the history of epidemics and pandemics, because they've occurred. 
You know, we had things like the plague years ago. Uh, we had a huge viral problem pandemic after World War One that killed more people than World War One did. Mm. So, you know, these things have existed. But a lot of the times, you know, it's not that big a deal, depending how you look at it. But we actually have 50,000 people a year die in the United States from the flu virus. Mm. I haven't seen that, you know, in the front of a newspaper lately. You know, what about those 50,000? From just from, and I don't say just the flu, but from the flu. And I think that's the, the numbers don't lie, right? So I think what you're, you really have spelled that out, um, that perhaps the headlines are, are wrong, but we're still understanding, or we need to understand what really, what is the coronavirus? Well, there's actually been three of them from what I've read. There have been three episodes of people getting sick with this type of virus that it's genetically related one to the next. So there's been a MERS virus, there's been a SARS virus, and this is the, the latest one, which has its own name. And they're connected. And probably good to realize that in another few years, there's probably going to be another coronavirus and maybe another coronavirus. So if we're going to be scared to death every time a new virus gets discovered, we're going to be scared all the time. What's important to realize is that most people are not going to be getting it. Most people who get it are not going to be terribly ill. Most people are not going to require hospitalization. And most people are not going to die from it. The folks who are the most susceptible and the ones who get the sickest are generally the people who are already ill to start with. So a person who has chronic lung disease, a person who's disabled, a person who lives in a facility where exposure to viruses is really common, such as a nursing home, they're going to be at higher risk. Other people at higher risk are health personnel, obviously doctors and nurses and nursing staff who take care of patients with these illnesses are much more likely to get it themselves. So a good thing to keep in mind is to keep your distance, at least while the concern is there, and don't hug everybody that you see and don't shake hands with everybody that you see and don't touch your own face or nose or eyes 50 times a day like most of us do. You know, we know what things to do to reduce our risk. And that's what I think is really important. Yeah, staying vigilant to those. Um, so what, can you just really describe what is an epidemic? <clears throat> an epidemic means a lot of people are affected. And a pandemic means the world is affected. Hmm. So you can have an epidemic in the United States or you can have an epidemic in New York State or Pennsylvania. So it's a large area with a lot of people in it involved and that's an epidemic. Pandemic is more serious and has many more people involved in it. So like HIV, which is viral, uh, is a pandemic because it's been everywhere. Uh, this one has been in a few places so far. And, you know, whether it's going to be an epidemic depends on how many people become involved with it. From what I've read so far, there's been about 100,000 people who've been determined to be infected with this coronavirus. That's not epidemic proportions. If it stays the way it is now, and it may not, you know, it could grow, uh, it won't be an epidemic. And most of these things that come along do not become epidemic. There have been many viruses that have come along where the number of people affected was not that great. And I particularly remember, and this comes to mind so much of the time when people get so worried, oh my gosh, we're all going to die type stuff. Mm -hmm. I remember 1977 when I was uh, working in New York City there was a scare about swine flu. Oh. 
And I remember the Surgeon General of the United States, who's a real authority, you know, comes on and tells everybody, you need to get the swine flu vaccine because otherwise there's going to be a terrible epidemic in the United States of America. So people run out and they get this vaccine and a bunch of people got sick from the vaccine. Guillain-Barre, which is a neurologic complication that can occur with vaccinations, killed about 10 people. And a lot of other people got it and weren't killed by it, but paralyzed by it, which hopefully is usually temporary. But they took the virus vaccine off the market because of this. And guess what happened with the virus? There was no epidemic. There was basically hardly anything. So it was, it was blown up. It was magnified. You know, the press tends to run with these things like, you know, what's the terror of the week? Mm-hmm. What do we have to be scared about this week? Is it the stock market? Right. Is it the baseball team? Let's be scared about the coronavirus. Yeah. So I think it's enormously magnified. There are, you know, certain areas, again, that have to be really careful because of the susceptibility of the individuals and the locations where people may be working or living. If you're, you know, all of your neighbors have it, well, watch out. Maybe you should go out of town for a couple of weeks. <laughs> right, right. You know, but otherwise, I think we can live our lives and, and do things. You know, would I go to a basketball game this week? You know, would I go to a baseball game this week? Well, I don't go anyway, so I probably, <laughs> probably wouldn't. But I would tend to stay away from crowds. I would tend to stay away from close places. Uh, but I still hug my wife, you know, and I still shake hands with my patients. And I wash my hands 20 times a day, which I've been doing anyway. Right. So, you know, I think we can, we can live pretty safely with these things. So you mentioned about preventing and, of course, you know, not hugging people and, and keeping the distance and um, perhaps wearing masks uh, when you're around, you know, in an airplane or whatnot. But are there, what other kinds of things can we do? Just, you know, not going overboard, but living our lives, but just being ever vigilant about. Uh, well, there's a number of things we recommend in our practice just in general, but that would apply here. So I myself use a a nasal spray that has saline and xylitol in it. And I just squirt it in each nostril every morning and every night, every day of my life. I've been doing it for 20 years and I hardly ever get sick. And what that does is wash out what you've been inhaling all day. It washes out viruses, washes out bacteria, it washes washes out particulate matters that you've been inhaling. Maybe you're in a smoky room or, you know, around some cinder blocks or whatever. Uh, those things get eliminated by washing, simply washing them out. It's just a, a very simple technique. But I recommend it to patients all the time. And a lot of patients are doing it, and a lot have told me, boy, I don't get sick anymore either. So I think that's a really easy thing to do, and there's no risk to it, and it takes five seconds, and why not do it? And do you do it um, at the end of the day, or do you do it multiple times during the day, your nasal sprays? Well, the end of the day is the more important one because that's, you know, the time after you've been exposed to everything. Right. But I do it in the morning also. So it's twice a day. Okay. If I go on an airplane or I'm in an area that, you know, seems a little bit polluted, then I may do it three or four times a day because every time I do it, it's five seconds. Yeah. Just, There's nothing to it. Right. There's other things people can do. Um, colloidal silver is another item we have worked with. I have people gargle with colloidal silver, which kills bacteria, not so much viruses. There's a colloidal silver nasal spray that we also use, and you can use the one with saline and xylitol along with the one with silver, and then just work together. Vitamin C, I think, is really useful in prevention and treatment of various infections, bacterial or viral. So I routinely take a couple grams of vitamin C a day. If I started to get an illness, I would 
you know, double or triple the dose and try to take it every hour or two. In our office, a lot of times we give something called an immune drip, which is intravenous vitamin C plus zinc plus other materials that help to fight infection and build up the body. So we do those every day, many of them a week for infection, for chronic illness, for stress, for all kinds of things. People going on a long trip to Bangkok, you know, may want to say, well, how do I prevent getting sick with this? Go do an immune drip. It'll take you an hour. It'll build you up. So those are the main things that we do. There are different preparations we have uh, with the stragolus and other herbal preparations you can take as a pill that tend to suppress uh, and prevent viral infections and help get rid of them more quickly. So that's great. This is all great information. Um, but doesn't, you know, you talked about avoiding the crowds and concerts, ball games. Does it add to the hysteria or is it because we're still in this unknown moment in time with coronavirus? Are we adding to it by not attending? You know, I, I think it's just so overblown. Yeah. I mean, you're not, we're not, again, you know, we're not walking down the street getting shot at by someone from a window. It's not a high-risk situation, at least at this time. If it were to become high-risk, then you'd do something different. Mm -hmm. You'd be more active, more aggressive about it. But the way it's been overblown, and, and in fact, as I mentioned, if there's 50,000 people a year dying from the flu in this country every year, why isn't that a crisis? Yeah. You know, what's being done about that? So, you know, there's, there's no real focus here, and there's a, a lot of propaganda going around, and I think there's some politicizing about it, and then some folks are, you know, blaming the government because we have this thing going on. Uh, and I even read something about, well, we don't have enough kits to test people. Well, that's not going to kill the virus. It's just going to help detect it. But you already know ahead of time, most of the time, when a person starts to get a, a sore throat, a runny nose, you know, the things you tend to see with this, uh, something's going on. Is there a way to figure out what the difference is um, to the layperson, what the difference is between a regular flu and the coronavirus? No. There's, there's no way. You need a test to do that. Okay. You know, but the, the way you would handle it is basically about the same. You know, if you had the flu, you would pretty much isolate yourself. You wouldn't want your, your children yeah. or your wife to get it. You wouldn't want to take it to work with you, although some people, I guess, do. And that's another yeah, piece of advice is stay home if you're feeling sick. You yeah, don't. Don't, don't spread it around. You right. know, there's places in the world I, I'm reading, you know, where they make you stay in your house and you can't go out of your house for two weeks. And I'm wondering, how are these people getting food? Yeah, so what, right. What, what's going on here? And the other thing is that... Um, United States is, is, is much better with cleanliness and prevention than other countries. Uh, you know, there's places you can go where, the, you know, the air is polluted and your likelihood of getting a respiratory infection is high no matter what. And people in other countries smoke much more than they do in the United States, especially in California. And a person who has an underlying lung problem is far more likely to get sick when they're exposed to a, a virus or some other infection. I think people who are vaping these days ought to stop. You know, I think they ought to stop forever, but they certainly ought to stop for the next few weeks or months because they're at increased risk. And people who smoke cigarettes, it's the same way. You know, I'd like to see everybody stop smoking cigarettes, but I certainly would say for the next few weeks or months, don't do it because it's increasing your risk by inflaming your respiratory passages. It's setting you up. 
That's a really good advice, and, and I think you're right. It's such a difference between the United States and uh, elsewhere um, with smoking, vaping, and not knowing what those risks are. Um, this is great information. There's a lot more to learn from you, so hang tight. We uh, will be right back. Stay with Looking for healthier snack options? Mother's Market sources organic and non-GMO small batch, high-quality, great-tasting nuts, dried fruits, snacks, and candy. The goal? To provide you the highest in quality snacks while also offering high nutritional value. Fan favorites include non-GMO peanut butter pretzel bites, organic dried mango slices, and organic dark chocolate peanut clusters. Stop into your local Mother's Market today to explore all the varieties and pick some up to try for yourself. Let's talk menstruation, perimenopause, menopause, and postmenopause. These shouldn't be taboo topics. They're the normal life phases we move through as women. And Solaray delivers support every step of the way with Her Life Stages. The first of its kind, comprehensive new supplement line offers doctor formulated solutions at each stage with clinically backed ingredients you can count on. Own the stage. Buy Solaray at Mother's Market today. Welcome back to the Mother's Market Podcast. And we want to remind you that if you missed any portion of today's show, you can find us on iTunes by searching Mother's Market or download the show from our website, mothersmarket.com. Click the link for podcast and listen to past shows. Plus, download our healthy recipes and money savings coupons, all available at mothersmarket.com. And now back to our interview with Dr. Sawson. And we are talking about the latest information on the coronavirus outbreak. And uh, doctor, we were just talking a little bit off air here about uh, you know, I guess in China, they're manufacturing heart medications, antibiotics, and um, other chemo drugs, drugs that we take here uh, in the United States. What are your thoughts about if that, those manufacturing plants have been shut down in China and, or they're compromised, or I don't know, what, what can you say about what's going on right now? Well, that's a good question, but, you know, one wonders what are the measures for sterility? What are the protocols that are generally followed in China or other countries, or even in the United States, in manufacturing things that people are taking internally or being injected with? You know, what is the incidence of infections that are on pills or in injectables? You know, we, we don't, I don't really know what that is. I know things get discovered once in a while, and the ones I know about have actually occurred in the United States, caused in the United States. You know, but what goes on in something that's being made 8,000 miles away and then transported, and then handled by somebody else. You know, is the external surface of the bottle sterile or not? You know, who's touching it? Who's doing what? We don't, we don't have that information. I don't know if anybody's done any research on that, but it certainly would be a concern. You know, we hear all the time about food problems. You know, food's getting contaminated and people getting, there's just a big um, episode of people dying from listeria in one of the South American countries. Uh, that was a contaminant produced in some um, um, meat products that were being made. And a lot of people died. So where's that coming from? You know, something in the manufacturing process? Or is it coming from the raw materials? You know, there was an, another thing that occurred some time ago in, in apples that were supposed to be organic apples. So there's nothing in them. But some of the apples fell on the ground, and the ground had been walked over by cattle who get fed materials containing antibiotics, and therefore the stool from the cattle 
is oftentimes going to contain E. coli that can be pathogenic for humans. So these apples caused infections with an enteric bacterium in human beings who got sick, but the apple was supposed to be sterile and clean. It wasn't. Mm. So how do you prove these things? How do you make sure that's being done? You know, a lot of it is coming from the fact that we don't pay a lot of attention to the way we do things. And you know what? It goes back to really what you were saying in the very, very beginning about how you run your uh, medical practice there at the Institute for Progressive Medicine, and that is that, you know, you're trying to pull people off of, you know, if you can, off of the drugs and injecting things, but doing it on a natural basis, making them well, um, holistically. You know, it's a, it's a safer way. You know, every year, four or five drugs, maybe more, get taken off the market by the FDA because the FDA discovered that these drugs that they initially thought were safe aren't. So the data comes out years after the drug is out there and the FDA says, oh, this is not safe. We got to stop letting this out there. So the drug gets taken away. But in the meantime, how many people have gotten sick or died because of it? Because this of is that. not rare. It happens several times every year. And that's another story that should be told as well. When, you know, the government or media, you know, as we are telling the story of the coronavirus, that, yeah, look at what the FDA, and it happens for several kinds of drugs, as you just pointed out. Yeah, if I could drop one other thing that sure. may not really be fair, but whenever I watch TV and I'm seeing some movie or whatever, every time there's a break, I see four or five commercials for some fast food. Hmm. And I know that what these fast foods have in them, you know, at a dollar and a half for a meal or two and a half bucks for a meal is not going to be the best food. And I know that these foods are full of sugar, they're full of salt, they lead to obesity, they lead to diabetes, they lead to all kinds of problems, never mind whatever pollution may be in those foods. But that's creating sickness in the United States. We have an overpopulation of people who are obese and massively obese. It's been going up every year for the last 10 or 20 years and everyone's out there saying, what are we supposed to do about this? Well, you know, look what we're eating. Yeah. We're creating this and we're not doing anything about it. And again, it comes down to preparation. It comes down to research of what are the good foods. Let's go back to basics. Um, you know, it's way, you know, years ago when uh, the fast food didn't exist and people were home cooking and, um, Oh, it's all, it seems to be about convenience, but feeding ourselves the wrong foods. Right. Um, let's talk about supplements. You talked about the nasal sprays. Let's talk about what supplements, uh, vitamin C's, I know you mentioned. What else can we do? Well, I take about 20 pills a day, not drugs. They're all vitamins and minerals and, you know, nutritional supplements of one type or another. I, I take some amino acids that I use along with calcium and magnesium for sleep. And I sleep pretty well these days. You know, I try to stay away from giving people sleeping pills, which tend to be addicting or creating dependency, and they have a lot of their own problems. So there's natural things you can use for sleep. Some people take melatonin, which I think is safe. Some people are using natural hormones to help them sleep, which they do. So these are all safe items. On a daily basis, uh, I take a probably 50 or 60 combinations of nutrients in these 20 pills that I take. And there's antioxidants in there. All the B vitamins are there. The trace minerals are there. Zinc is there. And zinc helps suppress viral infections also. Vitamin D is in there. Most of the people I have measured have been 
borderline low or low in vitamin D, mainly because we're trying to stay out of the sun, right? Mm -hmm. <laughs> so we don't get vitamin D. If you don't get it, you should take it. You, know, you should have a blood level measured so you know where you are because a low vitamin D level increases susceptibility to infection along with other things. You know, you mentioned something about um, our blood levels. Um, and, and I may have talked to you about this in the past, but can you remind our, our listeners about um, just as an overall general health, is there something we can ask when we go to our physicians about getting blood tested, but like a, a panel that's different than the just general panel that we have to ask for? Um, you mentioned a vitamin D blood level. Is there anything else that we could be asking, especially in this hype of the coronavirus? Sure. Well, anything can be measured. You can, you know, measure vitamin B1, B2, B6, folic acid, B12. We, you know, we measure many of those things many times, and it's really very easy to do. Not all insurances will pay for it, so the patient needs to be willing to be responsible for the payment, but that's not a lot of money, you know, to get, these, to get this information. I think much of the time, if a person is on a really good diet, is having lots of vegetables and fruits, the diet's organic, the quality of food is good, you know, the meat is, is pasture-raised, uh, chances are they're not going to be vitamin deficient or mineral deficient, but it could still happen. You know, diabetics in particular, because of the nature of that condition, tend to be nutrient depleted. So I think it's important in those folks to have things go well. People who are uh, chronically ill, people who have gastrointestinal problems, people who have inflammatory bowel disease, they are all at increased likelihood of nutrient deficiencies. And I think they should be at least supplemented. If you take enough, you're probably not going to be low. But a lot of them I would test, and we do test, to see, you know, where are you? What is your B12 level? What's your vitamin D level? It's good to know because you can fix that. Right. And I don't think that it's just always offered when we, go, you know, you have to specifically ask for that and, then again, check with your insurance. So that's um, good to know. What about, um, you mentioned the IV therapies. That, um, was that the Im uh, immune dip? Or, or drip, drip, yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. yeah. Um, are there any others? that you could recommend for the IV therapies? Would it like a B12 therapy? I don't know if that... Well, B12 is in the immune drip. Oh, so that the is, immune okay. drip has, you know, a lot of things in it. It has all the trace minerals. It has magnesium. It has glutathione, which is an antioxidant that we like a lot. There's some other IVs we work with. We've been using um, ozone infusions for several years now, and ozone is a very powerful item that's made from oxygen but it helps to suppress infections, both viral and bacterial and even fungal. It reduces inflammation, it helps with healing, and it, it improves energy. Mm -hmm. So we have used ozone infusions in, in many patients for different problems. Um, and what about foods to avoid besides the fast foods and bulking up on the fruits and vegetables? Are there other foods to avoid? Well, salt is a big item. There's a lot of literature on salt. Some of it says salt is bad. Some of it says salt is good, and you can have as much as you want, and you don't have to worry about it. And to me, that's a little bit crazy <laughs> because I see a lot of changes in people when they cut their salt intake down, which is not so much the salt they add to food, but the salt that's already in food. So things like chips and popcorn and French fries and, you know, fast foods in general are very highly salted. Uh, so if you can cut those things out, at least the salt intake goes down and blood pressure goes down and weight goes down. But the other part of that is a lot of the other things in these same foods are not good for you. So you're not just cutting out salt or cutting down salt. You're cutting down sugar because mm -hmm. sugar gets added to almost everything to make it taste better. So on that note, um, sugar, you had mentioned that in the very beginning as well, but when are 
there are keywords we should be looking for in the ingredients, um, you know, packaged foods that is hidden that doesn't just say salt or sugar. Well, there's sometimes words on the packages that nobody knows the meaning of, and I don't either. And I, <laughs> so I, I avoid would, it. Yeah, I would tend to stay away from food colorings are generally not the best thing for you. So I would get as close to natural foods as I could. I know it costs a lot more money to buy organically grown foods, but that's what we do at home. That's what I do when I go to the market. Uh, and I think it's just a lot safer. You're spending more money, but you're probably going to live longer and live, live healthier. So maybe you'll have less money to have to spend for the doctor in the hospital because you're taking better care of your body. That's a good point. You get what you pay for, I guess, too, right? Uh, don't we just need a healthy dose of common sense? I guess that's also kind of a, you know, when we're dealing with this uh, coronavirus. Yeah, but you know what's common sense? You know, who do you normally listen to that makes sense to you? And then you see that that person is obligated to some group. Mm. So he's telling people what the group is telling him to say, and he's not really totally honest. And I don't want to mention any names or anything like that, but this is what goes on. Mm-hmm. You know, if you belong to a particular political party, you're going to have a certain point of view. And if you belong to another particular political party, it's going to have the other point of view. And that's not logical. You right. know, it's just like, you know, <laughs> yeah. where's this coming from? You know, right. what's this? What is a, a rational person to think about this stuff? So it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, that's a, that's a good point. So um, common sense is <laughs> different to everybody who, yeah. Can you just um, list three easy things we can do that we'll, when normally dealing with the flu? Just uh, You kind of talked about that in the beginning, but just, you know, to keep it simple. Yeah, pretty much keeping to yourself, you know, not touching the banisters when you go up and down the stairs, uh, staying away from crowded places you don't have to be in. You know, I, I think the uh, ocean cruises have probably been depopulated, at least for the time being. And, who, you know, who the heck would want to take that chance? Oh, my gosh, And right. get stuck on a boat for, for 14 days or whatever they're doing. Mm. So those are kinds of things. Keep to yourself. Stay clean. Wash your hands many times a day. Don't just use water. You have to use soap along with it. Uh, I think those are the, the things that are going to work the best for people. Do those antibacterial, um, those little bottles, does, it's, does that count as washing your hands? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it does. <laughs> Just well, got to rub them together for a while. Exactly. <laughs> well, thank you so much for your time, Dr. Sausen, and we look forward to having you on again. But in the meantime, you can catch more of Dr. Sausen on his website. It's i-progressivemed.com and learn more about his passion for alternative medicine and the other great things he's involved with. We look forward to your next visit. Thank you. Okay. The advice and informational content does not necessarily represent the views of Mother's Market and Kitchen. Mother's recommends consulting your health professional for your personal medical condition.